When Adam dies, Adam lives. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts to your word. We pray that you would help us to hear it and to do it, for we pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. On February 6, 1952, the husband of Queen Elizabeth died. From that moment, Elizabeth was no longer the Queen of England because she was not a royal in the line of succession to the English throne as her husband, King George VI, was. From that point forward, her life changed forever as her daughter was crowned Queen Elizabeth II and she became the Queen Mother because her husband died. This morning, we'll also see how life changes when a husband dies in Romans chapter 7, which will show us the old husband died. The old husband died. And as we look at this, we'll see the old husband is the last Adam, and the new husband is the last Adam. So first of all, the old husband is the last Adam. Go on and open up your Bibles. Romans chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 1. Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. And there Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Paul shows that he's speaking into a very Jewish context. So the church at Rome was apparently made up of Jews and Gentile converts, Gentile converts, God-fearers, who have now become Christ followers, and they know the law of God. The law, though it comes from God is God's express will and prepares the way for the gospel, and it is presented in negative terms because it deals with a negative thing, sin in an unresolved way. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, what you will see is you'll see the law laying out all of these regulations. And in essence, what you're looking at is sin needs to be covered. You've got the entire system of the tabernacle and the temple. You've got priests laid out in a certain way. And the blood flows because sacrifices need to be made. Blood needs to cover over sin. But when you get to the rest of the Old Testament, what do you see? You see in the narratives the application of the law. You see the people of God carrying out that which they were commanded to do. And so often, they did it wrongly. And so everything's left in an unresolved way. The blood of animals cannot cover over sin. People sensed it. People knew it. The priesthood fails. The kingship fails. And so people are longing for something more, something more permanent. They're looking for the coming of the Messiah. The law was binding upon fallen man until the day that he died. When a man dies, then the law doesn't apply in that way anymore. Verse 2, back in Romans chapter 7. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now Paul here uses the example of a married woman for very profound reasons that we'll see in a moment. Now oftentimes, Christians look at Romans chapter 7 And they see here prescriptions or regulations for how to deal with marriage and divorce. And indeed, that's an implication of this. But as we're going to see in a moment, Paul is accessing this command from the Old Testament to show something bigger. This is about something huge, something profound. 
And it's not saying everything that can be said on divorce and remarriage. Because Israel is often presented as Yahweh's bride. And a bride is bound to her husband until he dies. You'll see these motifs of Israel. Israel's spoken of as a son. Israel's spoken of as the people of God. Israel's spoken of as children who are royalty. But oftentimes Israel's spoken of as a bride. The bride of Yahweh God. And the law states that a woman is released from her marriage vows when her husband dies. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. The law demands that she live faithfully with her husband while he lives, lest she commit adultery. Now again, I want to say this. This isn't all that the Apostle Paul himself would say on marriage. There's more to be said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As we saw this morning, Jesus said that a person can be released from their marriage if their spouse commits some form of sexual immorality. But the point that the Apostle Paul is drawing here, as we'll see in a moment, is to focus on the fact that when a husband dies, the wife is free. When a husband is dies, she is freed from that prior marriage. But if he dies, she is set free. Set free from the law's demands. She is not an adulteress. She is free to marry another. She is free to marry another. His death is her resurrection to a new life. She died to the law's demands. Now at this point, I want to ask this question. Who caused this long process of covenant reconciliation that instituted the law? The law, if you look at it, is all about covering sin. It wouldn't have been necessary if the human race hadn't fallen. Who is responsible for this long process of covenant reconciliation that instituted the law? It was Adam. Adam did. Adam did. Who is the human race married to, bound to, in death and judgment? It's the old husband, Adam. Now, when Adam fell, we all fell in it. First and foremost, there's original sin. The things that Adam did, his rebellion is charged to the human race. Before you even come into this world and breathe your first breath, you're already under original sin. The sin of Adam is charged to your account as a member of the human race. His fall is your fall. His fall is our fall. But when you come into the world, you've got his DNA running through your veins. And we begin to sin the moment we take a breath in this world. Our orientation is toward rebellion and sin, and that is known as the pollution of sin. And this was all brought about by the old husband, Adam. In the Greco-Roman world, there was a terrible punishment called the corpse bride. You can see an example of this in the Aeneid. A person was tied skin to skin to a rotting corpse until they died from the rot themselves. A rotting dead body was tied to a living person and then that rot and decomposition would transfer to the living person and they would literally rot to death. Well, friends, we are Adam's corpse bride. We're tied to his sin. We're tied to his rebellion. And we're tied to the prescriptions that came out of the fall and death reigns over the human race. We drove to the beautiful little town of Punalulu on the big island of Hawaii. 
It's one of the most southernmost towns in the United States, and it's at the end of the world as the land disappears into the vast Pacific Ocean. Adam was the end of the world. In him and through his fall, the world that could have been disappeared into the curses of the vast fallen world, and we are bound to him like a terrible husband in his fall, for his fall is our fall. And it's a terrible example of community property. So we've seen that the old husband is the last Adam, and now we're going to see that the new husband is the last Adam. The new husband is the last Adam. Going on to verse 4 in Romans chapter 7. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. Likewise, says the Apostle Paul, Christians have died to the law through the death of Jesus so that we can belong to another, so that we can have a new husband. The language and analogy that's used here is of a wife whose husband she was bound to has died. And notice this, to bear good fruit. We've been talking about this over the last several weeks. We've been raised to new life. We've been given over to a new bridegroom. We've been given new life, but what are we to do with it? To continue in sin? To feed the old man? To bow the knee to the reigning of sin in our lives? Or to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? We have the Holy Spirit of God. And we are called to bear good fruit. And what's this all about? Jesus' resurrection is presented as our resurrection to a new life. A life in which we bear good fruit for God. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, N.T. Wright says the key to understanding this passage is a couple passages earlier in the book of Romans. One of them is Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When the law came, it increased sin. How did it do that? Is the law bad? What the law did is it shined a light into the dark corners of humanity. And we're really good at hiding sin. We're good at hiding sin even from ourselves. We call that which is good bad, and that which is bad we call good. And we see that God's law comes and allows us not to hide sin, shows sin in our lives. Even the sins we don't recognize, and so sin increases. But I think there's a second aspect to it. When the law comes and says, do this thing, for that thing is bad, what happens? We, like little children, want to do that thing. You've seen it with your own kids. Don't do that. And their immediate impulse is to go and do that thing. The law comes arouses sin in our lives. But we're told here that where sin increased, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friends, we, as the bride of Christ, are brought to a new way of life. We, as the bride of Christ, enslaved to sin, bound up in the sins of Adam, have been set free. We are no longer slaves of sin. 
We no longer let sin reign in our lives, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ reigns in our lives. And we will sin. But when we sin, we confess that sin and we move on in the confidence that we've been forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Why was there death for sin? Who caused the long process of covenant reconciliation that instituted the law? It was all about Adam. We were bound to our old husband, Adam. Verse 6 in Romans 7. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Adam meant to gloriously rule creation. Adam, who is meant to spawn a race of rulers to take God's glory to the end of the cosmos. Oh, the possibilities that there would have been. I don't think that Adam and Eve would have been wandering around naked forever. They would have created glorious clothing. They would have taken grain and they would have made bread. They would have taken grapes and made wine out of it. They would have taken wood and built structures and all the things that happened after the fall would have been done more gloriously and more quickly. Imagine the possibility of a human race not being bound over to sin, but instead he became a millstone around our necks as his children and collectively through the law as his bride. But friends, now he's died. Now he has died. And how did he die? You're looking back to when he died at his old age in the book of Genesis, but there's something more than that. How did he die? In fact, in some way he died a second time. Why? Because Jesus comes as the last Adam. Jesus took on fallen human flesh. Flesh meant to die as the last Adam. Have you ever been perplexed by the things that Jesus does? Jesus goes and gets baptized at the Jordan River. Why does Jesus need to get baptized? He's not a sinner. Why does Jesus have to obey the law? Why does Jesus have to do what's good and right and be spit upon and dishonored by his own people? Why does Jesus, the perfect man who never sinned, have to go to the cross and pay for sin as though he were a sinner? Why? Because he's taken on responsibility for the fall. He's becoming the last Adam. He gets baptized as though he were a sinner, and he goes to the cross as though he was a sinner. And when you see Jesus hanging upon the tree, you can say, There's the sinner. There's the rebel. There's the prostitute. There's the disobeyer of parents. Why? Because he goes as the last Adam. He goes as the old husband. But friends, it doesn't end there. When he rose, he's the new Adam. The firstborn over all creation. Never to die again. He is the bridegroom. Why do you think Jesus was all about weddings and brides? Half his stories are about wedding feasts and people being invited to wedding feasts. People being rejected from wedding feasts because they don't have the right clothing. Why does Jesus speak of himself as the great bridegroom? What's this all about? Because Jesus is the new husband. Jesus comes as the old husband and dies and rises from the dead and we're free to marry another. Jesus, the great bridegroom, coming for his bride. You are the bride. You have now been set free from death 
and set free from your old husband to live and to serve another? Friends, you don't have to be bitter. You don't have to grouse about your station in life. You don't have to say, I don't know how I'm going to overcome my sins. No, friends, you've been set free in the bridegroom. As we were visiting the coast of the windward side of the big island of Hawaii, I was struck by the intensity of the raw beauty of life. The sea was so blue, clear, and wild. The jungle was vivid with intense colors, and the air was alive with the sound of frogs, birds, and insects. Everything seemed new and alive. Our text this morning is about new life, about a new marriage, about a new husband. Our nation around us cries constantly for freedom, freedom from tradition, freedom from religious regulation, freedom from nature's restrictions, freedom from God. But people are less and less free from the prison of meaninglessness, from the prison of changing human opinions, from the prison of joylessness. But Romans chapter 7 tells us that Christians should be different. We've been set free, set free from death and sin and set free to everlasting joy with the great Lord and bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you going to do about that this Thanksgiving? What are you going to do about that? Because the old husband is the last Adam. The new husband is the last Adam. The old husband died. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world to pay the price, to take responsibility as the last Adam, and to rise from the dead as the new Adam. Help us to rejoice in thanksgiving in that this week even. And I pray that you would help us to invite others to the feast. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.